Hi friends, welcome to Preacher, a podcast designed around the reality that many of our churches are shrinking because we haven't created a place where everyone can belong. So if you're seeing that reality in your own church, or you've experienced that and left the church, this podcast is for you. Welcome. I'm your host, Jen Hale Christie, and this is season four. We have a wonderfully supportive and encouraging Patreon community. Sarah, Lauren, Dave, Steve, Mark, Sheila, and Tom, I thank the world of you all, and I thank our God every time I remember you. If you are a listener who hasn't yet joined our Patreon community, now is a great time. Your support keeps this good work going, so thank you. Links are in the show notes. Friends, we are living in a truly remarkable time. Never before has the future seemed so uncertain. And what better time to be dwelling in the book of Acts among a people who were living in unprecedented times. May we find ourselves in these stories as we find ourselves in God's story. Our message today comes from Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 15. Here are those five verses from the New Revised Standard Version. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and was a dealer of purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. There are two things going on in this passage that we're really going to um, draw out today. The first is the strong connection between an open heart and open hands. And the second is the importance of being interruptible. Nearly 20 years ago, I was finishing up my undergraduate degree in psychology at UC Davis, and I had no idea what I was doing next. I had been taking education courses to explore whether teaching might be the career for me, and so far, all I had discerned was that working with kindergartners, as I had been doing in my student teaching, was not my jam. Um, At that time, my parents were living in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and I decided to move home after college to look for a teaching job. I was hired to teach Spanish at a private boarding school for girls with uh, mild emotional disturbances, and it was quite a job to have at the fresh young age of 21, just a few years older than some of my students. Um, I was still feeling a pull to ministry, but I couldn't quite name it. So during that year, I requested a catalog from Abilene Christian University to look into graduate school because that's what you did back then. You asked for a catalog. Um, Anyway, eventually I made my choice um, to enroll in the Graduate School of Theology, and I was invited to come out for a visit um, to see about places to live and get to know some people, you know, see the campus. Um, One of the faculty members in missions, Dr. Gwyneth Curtis, he kindly offered to drive all the way um, and come pick me up from Dallas-Fort Worth Airport, which was about a three-hour drive from Abilene. But his sister lived um, near the airport, and so he was just going to use that opportunity to go visit his sister. Um, He said that he would help me figure out transportation back to Dallas at the end of the weekend. 
um, it was a really great trip and it solidified for me that this was the school. Um, this is where I wanted to go. I met some people who were there for a summer mission workshop and they just happened to be heading to Dallas on Sunday afternoon when I also needed to go um, to get back to the airport. So it seemed like totally perfect, maybe even divinely ordained. On the way, however, it was pouring down rain. Maybe you have driven that stretch of I-20 between Abilene and Dallas. Maybe you have even done it in a Texas rainstorm. You know what I'm talking about, where it's coming down in these thundering sheets and you can hardly see 20 feet in front of you. I was riding shotgun and there were two people in the back seat. We were going about 70, 75, maybe a little more. And the driver was using cruise control. Big mistake. Monumental. One moment, we're barreling down the highway in this dumping rain, and the next minute, the car is floating. I mean, that's what it felt like. Even though we were going more than 70 miles an hour, time almost seemed to stop. We're floating, we're sliding, and then we're spinning and spinning and spinning, slamming into the guardrail over and over. Um, It was totally terrifying. And then there we were in the middle of nowhere on I-20 with miles of freeway stretching in both directions, nothing but fields in sight. The airbags have deployed. It takes us a moment to recover from the shock of what had just happened and like what to do next. There's smoke coming from the hood of the car. So we all get out uh, because we know that's what we're supposed to do. And we're soaked in a matter of seconds. We call 911 and they say they'll send someone, but we don't even really know where we are or how long it's going to take for someone to get to us. There are other cars that come along the road, and as each one approaches, they stop and ask if we need them to call 911. Since the police have already been called, there's really nothing they can do, so they drive on with these sad eyes. After we've been standing on the side of the road next to this demolished smoking car for about 15 minutes, a gold-colored Chevy Tahoe pulls over. A kind woman, driving her mother somewhere, rolls down her window and offers to call 911 for us. When we tell her this rehearsed line that we've been telling every other car, they're already on their way, she says, would you like to just sit in our car while you wait so you don't have to stand out there in the rain? I could not believe it. It was the kindest gesture, the most welcoming, hospitable, wonderful thing someone could have done in that moment. They stayed once the police arrived so that we could take turns being sheltered from the rain while the police took their reports. I was growing increasingly nervous that I would miss my flight now that we were so far delayed. And as the police were almost finished with us, this kind, kind, generous woman asked if I would like a ride to the airport. We were still more than an hour away. And I don't know where they were headed, where they, where they were going, if we made them late for something or made them miss it altogether. I just know they were on their way somewhere, saw some kids who needed help, and they stopped. They drove me all the way to the airport and I made it back home safely. The kindness of these women still warms my heart and brings me to tears. I mean, who were they? Where were they going? What made them stop and let these kids into their car? All I know is they allowed themselves to be interrupted and they showed incredible kindness toward us. These women had open hearts that led to open hands and opening their car letting us sit in their car even though we were soaked to the bone and getting their car all wet, and then to go even further and drive me all the way to the airport. It was amazing. 
Well, today, we aren't on that endlessly long stretch of I-20 between Abilene and Dallas. Today, we find ourselves on the shore in Philippi. And Paul had just had a vivid dream. Remember this dream um, where there was a man from Macedonia who was pleading with him for Paul um, to come and help him. So we sailed from Troas, and after a few stops, we ended up here in Philippi. And when we got here in the middle of the week, um, we wanted to find the Jews. So we needed to wait a few days until it was Sabbath, and then we could try to find the synagogue. We go to the coast because we're living in the diaspora, the dispersion or the scattering of the Jews. And the coast is where the synagogues or, quote, houses of prayer are located. But what we find is a group of women. Now, this isn't the house of prayer or synagogue that we're looking for, because after we teach these women and everyone gets baptized, we're going to press on in search of the synagogue. But here on the beach, while we're on our way to the synagogue, we meet this rich woman named Lydia and her friends. And I guess we didn't ever catch whether she's a Jew or a Gentile God-fearer, but we do know that she's devout. She fears God. She is a woman of considerable wealth. She deals in purple cloth. And purple fabric is reserved for the wealthy and the royal. Lydia is the owner and the head of her household, and she has the means to provide hospitality to all of us, to take all of us into her home to stay. So she's doing pretty well for herself. And a thing that I notice is that Paul doesn't offer any judgment or condemnation for her wealth. In fact, we just accept her generous hospitality. And when Luke goes to write down her story, he actually highlights that, that hospitality, that, that generosity that she gives of what she has, that she has this considerable wealth and, and her status and her wealth are above ordinary. And, and this really shows me that even people of nobility are joining this new movement with us. So, I mean, it's credible. It's, it's on the up and up. So Lydia tells us that the Lord has opened her heart. And this is a phrase that sounds biblical to us, but it's actually the only time this term is used in scripture, except for one in Maccabees, but that's an apocryphal text. So God opens her heart to hear the gospel, and the next thing we know, she's opening her home to us. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think actually this outward action of hospitality and how she uses her possessions, how she gives of them freely is connected to her inner disposition of having a heart that is open to God. Her outward actions are a sign of her inward open heart. So there's that strong connection between an open heart and open hands. This is the first time we meet Lydia, but she's about to become one of the most important converts in our movement. She's the first European convert, and the church that's founded in Philippi goes on to become the one that supports Paul through thick and thin, supporting him financially and emotionally. He dearly loves this church. So while we were on our way to do one thing, this wasn't our destination, we make a connection with someone that turns out to have a huge impact. And Maybe, just maybe, this is the very thing we're supposed to be doing. I mean, none of this would have ever happened if we had not been interruptible while we were on our way. So this idea of something happening while you're on your way somewhere, that phrase grabbed me. And I realized there's a lot of stuff that happens in the Bible while someone is on the way to go somewhere else. Think about the parable of the Good Samaritan and how being interruptible, being willing to pause and offer hospitality to a stranger was the righteous thing to do. 
And think about when Philip is told to go down to this road that runs through an uninhabited desert, and as he's on the way, he meets this Ethiopian eunuch who just happens to be reading from Isaiah. He shares the gospel, and this guy gets baptized. In Mark's gospel, Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah, this huge declaration and turning point in the gospel, and it happens while they're on the way. They're headed somewhere else. In Matthew and Mark, Jesus predicts his death while they're on the way to Jerusalem. When Jesus encounters the rich young ruler, it's while he's on his way somewhere else. Jesus healed 10 men with leprosy while he was on his way to Jerusalem. After Jesus' resurrection, he appears to two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus, on the way. One of my favorites is when Jesus is on his way to see Jairus' daughter who's on her deathbed, and on the way, there's this woman who's been suffering with bleeding for 12 years, and she reaches out and touches the hem of his garment, and he's healed. And we have this precious moment where he realizes it, and he sees her. He sees her, and he speaks to her. He speaks to her, and he tells her that her faith has healed her. It's powerful. And the disciples were urging him to keep going and not worry about it when he felt someone touch him. Remember that? They thought he was being ridiculous because there was a huge crowd pressing in on him and he had somewhere he needed to go where we have a destination. Let's get there. But he knew that something miraculous had happened. He knew he needed to pause and be present to it. Be present to this person and acknowledge this moment. Acknowledge the movement of God in this moment. We have to be interruptible to do this. I want to talk about our culture of hurry. Do you often feel like you are hurrying or rushing through life? Lately, things have really slowed down significantly with the mandatory stay-at-home orders. At least for many of us, they've, they've slowed down. I know in our house, things have really slowed down. We don't have that morning rush that we once had and the, the rush like from school to homework and chores and dinner and bath and bed and do it all over again. Like there was such a rush to life um, just a few short weeks ago. But back before COVID-19, back when life was normal, we often felt hurried in our house. Being on time was frequently a struggle. I mean, I could blame the kids, but Dave and I are just as bad. And I think a lot of it has to do with only leaving ourselves enough time to get from point A to point B. So often we fail to give ourselves some margin, some extra breathing room in our schedule. So when someone has a meltdown, when they don't have their shoes on yet, when they have to run back inside for a jacket, it derails everything and makes us late. But when we have that margin built in, it helps us to be interruptible. Because when we're in a hurry, the last thing we want is to be interrupted. But if we're running early, when we leave ourselves some extra time, it's no big deal at all to stop and chat or hold the door open for someone or say yes to someone's request for help. In fact, there's even a psychological experiment that was conducted over 40 years ago that proves this point. There's a widely known experiment that was conducted in the 1970s at Princeton Theological Seminary by two researchers, Darley and Batson. They looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan, which seems to question whether one's religious convictions affect their willingness to help someone. So they designed this experiment in which 40 students, seminary students, mind you, they're all in one building completing a questionnaire. Then they're told to go over to another building to give a talk. Some were told they were going to give a talk on vocation, and some were told that they were actually going to talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
They were told to hurry, but they were different degrees. They were individually told to either hurry a little, somewhat, or a lot. Then, when they left the building on the way to the second building, they came across someone, an actor who was part of the study, but they didn't know that. They came across this person who was hunched over in the alley in plain sight and in clear need of help. What they found is totally fascinating. It didn't seem to matter whether the students were hurriedly thinking about the talk they were going to give on vocation, jobs, or on the talk about the Good Samaritan. Simply thinking about the story of the Good Samaritan didn't make the student any more or less inclined to help. Isn't that fascinating? The huge finding was actually what they call the hurry variable, and it was significantly correlated to the helping behavior. So the more rushed they felt, the less likely they were to help. And the opposite was also true. So um, only 10% of the students who were in that high hurry group offered to help, but 63% of those in the low hurry group helped. So the people who felt the most hurried, they were the least inclined to pause, to take a moment out of their day to help someone who who seemed like they were in clear need of help. And then in contrast, people who weren't hurrying very much at all, but like a little bit, they were way more likely to stop and help this person. Perhaps it's things that happen on the way that are the most important. Maybe all of the on the way stuff is everything that makes up a life. And when we focus too much on a particular destination and hurry to get there, we risk missing all of the stuff on the way. So I want us to think about what God might want to show us while we're on the way. Think about the in-between times in your life right now, when you're moving from one thing to the next. Maybe you're still commuting to an office or a place of work, or maybe your commute is from your bedroom to your living room. Maybe like me, you only leave your house really for like a daily walk or jog around the neighborhood and the occasional grocery store run once or twice a month. Many of us don't have a lot of on-the-way moments in the way that we used to, but we still have them. For me, a lot of these on-the-way moments these days involve my kids. When I'm on the way to start making dinner and Anna wants to show me her drawing. When I'm on the way out for my run and Lane asks me to read to him. When I'm on the way to clean up the kitchen and Lucy asks me to braid her hair. When I'm on the way to my computer for a few minutes of work finally and Jude wants to show me his Lego creation. I wonder what opportunities we have while we are on our way somewhere or somehow in process or or in transit and transition. How often do we focus so much on the end goal or the destination that we miss what's happening along the way? How willing are we to be interrupted while we are on the way? Think about all of the in-between places of your life right now. If you're still getting out of the house for any reason, think about the path you will take to get to where you are going. Who might you run into on the way? What might God want to show you while you're on the way? Maybe it's someone in need of help, or maybe it's help for something you need. Let's be interruptible this week. One important step we really need to take is building in margin. Because when we're running from one thing to the next with only enough time to get from point A to point B, we're not interruptible. When I've waited until 4.55 to start making dinner, I don't welcome an interruption from my kiddos, and I don't have the patience to let them help. When we're feeling rushed, we're likely not open to things that God might have for us. 
we don't have time to stop and, and with sincerity, ask the cashier or delivery driver how their day is going, because that will make us late. Tomorrow, let's be intentional about the margin of time, if only for one day, so that we can be interrupted by God. And when God interrupts us, let's tell someone about it or journal about it. You know, we need to share these stories because this is the ongoing witness of God's work in our world. This is how we remind ourselves and others that God has not left us alone here, that God is indeed still at work in this world. Friends, wherever you find yourselves today, whether you are going to an office, putting yourself um, in harm's way for the sake of others, staying at home to, um, to help protect others, whether you find yourself homeschooling suddenly, suddenly a full-time stay-at-home parent, um, wherever you find yourself today, may you have an open heart that leads to open hands, and may you be interruptible. May it be so among us. Peace to your home. If today you find yourself on the outside, without a seat at the table or a voice in the conversation, may you lean into the truth that you're always welcome in God's community. If you are one who wears the name minister, pastor, elder, shepherd, or are otherwise known as a faith leader, may you extend God's yes to those you might have said no to in the past. May you be emboldened and encouraged to honor the space that God has already created for all. Let's build bigger tables together. If something in you was stirred today, reach out. Hearing from you really does help to shape the future of this podcast. You'll have the greatest impact and opportunities for engagement by joining our Patreon community by clicking that Become a Patron button on our page, patreon.com slash jenhalechristie. And I would love for you to connect with me on Instagram or LinkedIn or Facebook at jenhalechristie. Lastly, you would really help others to connect with this work if you would subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes. That's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening, and I will catch you next time.